hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Truth Wanted. I'm your host, Objectively Dan, and it's Friday night here, but it's 1 o'clock in the morning where Rebecca Fox is, <laughs> our guest tonight on it this is. episode. What's going on, Rebecca? It's a dark and stormy night over here, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, the wind is going crazy outside. Oh, really? Man, that's that's uh, kind of terrifying. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I think a... my fence might fall down tonight. Oh, man, that sucks. Uh, I, I've i had fence problems when I was younger with my family, and, and it was a whole thing where like the neighbors said that they didn't have to pay for it, even though it was on their lines. It's, it's, it's bad news. Fix your fences, yeah. people. Prevent these things from happening. Anyway, this is a show where we talk to people about what they believe and why we are live here in the atheist community of Austin Studios. And if you want to call into this show and talk to me or my guest tonight, Rebecca Fox, please call into the number on the corner of the screen there. So Rebecca uh, is an illustrator, is a podcast host, and uh, just has a lot of different projects. Rebecca, if you could, I don't know, because you do so many things. Maybe you have a better way of introducing yourself than I do because (laughs) you got your hand in a lot of pots. I do. I don't really have a better way of introducing myself. I see myself as someone who is interested in critical thinking and atheism and all that good stuff. And I go where, you know, where my fancy takes me. So I've made comics. I do a podcast, as you said, and I do lots of other little bits and bobs, anything along those lines. The most recent thing I've done and the reason we got in contact is the video for How We Let Go, which was kind of a... um, semi-scientific survey of the atheist community yes and so for those of you who don't know i was recently in uh one of rebecca's videos i got to narrate um someone's story about their deconversion process um and so hopefully um i don't think we didn't prepare that link actually we should have prepared that link but maybe some nice person in the chat will uh look at that and and we'll probably try to get it um maybe in the description here as well. I'll talk to the guys here and see if we can do that. But yeah, so that was a really fun experience to, to read lines for that. Um, and let's let's talk about that video specifically a little bit more. Like what was the purpose of that video and, and what were you, you know, what were you doing with that? Well, as I said, I mean, I'm an artist. And so I, I wanted to contribute something to the atheist community. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I also very into street epistemology. Yes. Um, and I've, I've made some video content along those lines before. Um, so I've been watching all the, all the videos, all the amazing videos of street epistemologists doing their thing. And I'm just thinking about that process of letting go of beliefs and what it's like for people. And it's kind of hard to create art for people if you don't really know who the people are. Mm. And I've got, I've got my experience and I have these few videos I've watched here and there and I have my friends. But what I wanted to do is get an idea of generally what we all have in common as people who've let go of, you know, religion or spirituality. I don't know, spiritual beliefs, supernatural beliefs, whatever it is. So I put together a survey of 36 questions, just stuff that I really wanted to know. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, I said semi-scientific because I gathered the data just by shouting out on Twitter and lots of nice people retweeted for me. You weren't getting grant funds for this or anything. This was just, this was you putting out a survey. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But because I got so much data, I had um, almost 850 respondents in the end. And that started to feel like, I mean, amazing, but also a bit of a responsibility to these people who'd opened their hearts to me because it wasn't just answering basic questions. Mm -hmm. They were going, there were questions about like, what was the first thing that you started doubting about your faith? Things like that. And people have gone into lots of detail in the in the comment boxes underneath each question. And I wanted to do something respectful, but also informative with it. So I sort of came up with the idea of putting a video together. 
and me and Anthony Magnabosco worked on this together um, and created something that hopefully, I mean, it presents the data or mm -hmm. at least an overview of the data, but also sort of gives a, I don't know, my own artistic interpretation of people's experiences and allows people to have their own voices, which is why I wanted people like you to step in from the atheist community to to give voice to this, yes. what people said. And as someone who has their own story of their own kind of deconversion process, you know, a process of changing their minds, like that really resonated with me. Um, and I think it's a very humanizing way of portraying a lot of these kinds of stories. You know, I think we kind of make the mistake sometimes of putting these stories as, well, I figured A doesn't equal B, therefore, you know, I don't believe in God anymore. And like, that's just wasn't really the case for at least my experience and for a lot of people, you know, like this was a change in identity. This was a change in uh, social relations between people. This is a change in, in how people are living their lives. Uh, this is like a, a bigger deal than what some people can characterize it as. And I'm glad that we can kind of put that spin on there and say like, hey, here's here's people's like real stories, not just like, a headline or just like, a, oh, I'm just, this is how I am now. Like it, for a lot of people, it's a process. And I think we got to illustrate that process pretty well. So yeah. yeah. I, mm -hmm. I was really surprised at how, um, because people started messaging me. Well, people started filling out this survey. And um, as I say, going into a lot of detail about their personal experiences and stuff, which was fascinating, but also a bit like emotionally overwhelming for yeah. me, just these coming in. And then, uh, and then people started messaging me saying, this has been so cathartic. I'm really glad you gave me the opportunity to do this. And I was like, I didn't really think of it as like, like I didn't think that, I thought they were doing me a favor filling mm. out the survey. It takes about half an hour. It's like, it's not, it's not a little survey. Right. And it's very detailed and, you know, but people actually really wanted to talk about this stuff and express themselves, which I think must demonstrate that we don't talk about it enough. Yes. Yes. Or we just, yeah, either we don't make a public enough conversation about it or people don't have the best means of dealing with this stuff in their own personal lives. I know like for me, and I'm speaking for myself, of course, but like it took me time to kind of yeah, I didn't jump right into like activism right away or anything. Like I had to process things. I had to figure some stuff out. And uh, if you don't have a good outlet for that, like that's that's just as harmful as yeah. you know, still keeping beliefs that are harmful to yourself. You know, because like I said, this it's a it's a psychological process that people go through, and it's it's not just always a philosophical exercise. So I'm I, again, I'm glad that we can kind of look at that a little bit more with that video. And uh, again, uh, hopefully we'll get a link here so people can check out uh, what you well, did. Well, it's very that. easy to find. They can just go to howweletgo.org. Yes, howweletgo.org. <laughs> and uh, that's got everything that has and, the video and you can actually look at the, the raw data if you're one of those people who likes to look at raw data. Right. And you can, and you can look at my report, which and, I wrote up. And if you're wondering who did the illustrations, that's also all you. That's all Rebecca. <laughs> Who, who animated that whole video. It's very beautifully done, by the way. Um, I, did, so. I did the drawings, but Anthony animated them. He put them together as an animation. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> he did do the animation parts, but the, the, the visuals designs were done by you, correct? Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Yeah. And so let's talk about some of the other stuff you're doing, because I know, I mean, you got a website, you got, uh, you're, you're, you're a podcast host. Like, what, what are some of the other stuff you got going on? Well, the thing I'm most excited about at the moment is my podcast. Um, we've been doing it for... A uh, couple of years now, I think we've only been putting stuff out for a year and a half because you know you have that period, anyone out there who's a podcaster knows you have that period when you're making podcasts, but you're not quite brave enough to put them out. Mm. So we've been making them for two years, but maybe they'd be going out for about a year and a half. It's called The Seeker and the Skeptic. 
And guess which one I am. Ha! Say, uh, all of the above? Is that an option? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the funny thing. Um, we kind of set it up as this uh, dichotomy of my friend Kat, who is, I mean, she's into astrology. She's learning to do astrological readings right now. And she's just very interested in all sorts of spiritual topics. And me, who is interested in spiritual topics, but unlikely to become an astrologer anytime soon. Uh, and we were having these really friendly, fun conversations about woo, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know a, how I feel about using that word. Term. But... That's the technical term, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I think it's rare to find two people who come from such different perspectives who can have like fun, friendly banter about this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's kind of street epistemology inspired. We talk about why we believe things and why we think the people who believe the things we're talking about believe them. Uh, but it's mainly just two mates having a chat. Yeah. And that's. Oh, I, and it's an excuse to do all sorts of crazy shit as well. Yeah. So we go we go and have the experiences. We don't just talk about it. We go and have the experiences and then report back. Yeah. And so I think it's. It's cool that you can have conversations like that. Like, that's obviously what we I've tried to strive here on this show, you know, like trying to have good conversations with people of all stripes. And uh, like, I think some people have an idea where you have to have a conversation with people about specific beliefs in a certain way. And hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think you should always go about like just rooting people's bad beliefs out because like that's if, if your goal is to change somebody's mind then you have to realize that some people are entrenched in this kind of stuff. And like, it can also be kind of disingenuous because it's like, well, what if they have something to show you? You know, are you willing yeah. to be open to that? Um, and so it's it's a posturing you should have, as I think of it, in these kinds of conversations. And and I, I think I can support that kind of posturing when it's just two friends just like kind of talking about life, you know, because that's how most of these conversations happen on a day-to-day -day exactly, basis. You're just yeah. kind of recording it. So that's, that's it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Although most I've, I've found quite often, I think it's quite rare to find someone who is so open to discussing her beliefs as Kat is. Mm. Um, and I, I think maybe like maybe three or four years ago, I couldn't have had these sort of conversations because I would have been too much like uber skeptic, mm. like pointing out every logical fallacy. But now I've kind of chilled out a bit and I can recognize that there's value in just sharing ideas and not necessarily pointing out every logical flaw. Sure. Although, obviously, when we're talking about something that potentially has harms and dangers, that's something we go into detail on. Right. You know, like, when it comes to, because obviously, I think we all have friends and family that don't think the same way we do. Yeah. Um, so, like, when, you know, if a point's brought up and you're asked to talk about a point, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring my evidence. I'm going to, you know, defend my case if, if it's called upon. But a lot of times, you, if you can get along with people, that's a valuable thing too. And that's something that yeah. I don't think people really value enough. And that's not to say, by the way, that you should compromise on your values or your beliefs or do something that you wouldn't normally do for the sake of, you know, just having a relationship with somebody. Because I think we both agree there's limits to where we can oh, do definitely. that. But, you know, if like some of this stuff is just like, look, you got to live to let live. I don't know. Mm. At the end of the day, like, and, and that's a, a to, admittedly, that's a blurry line sometimes. But in some cases... I think we, it, we could make the case it's pretty cool. Like if, if you found out your friend was like, I don't know, um, making child sacrifices because it would boost her <laughs> astrology points. I'm not a super expert on astrology. Shh, don't tell her. Don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Give her ideas. Right. Right. Uh, then I don't know. That, that's something you might have to do something about. But, you know, like 
we're both in this life together. We're trying to figure stuff out. People have different paths. So got to respect that. Yeah. Too. It's always a balance between trying to be honest, um, which is a really important value to me and not trying to be a dick. Yeah. Those are my two, like, you I'm moving between. <laughs> I get it. I get it. There's some people call into the show. It's like, I don't know what the, f- how the, how did you get there? But like, I try to tease it out, try to figure it out. Cause I, I, at the end of the day, I want to understand people. I want to figure out why they are the way that they are. What's, what makes them tick? How did they get to the conclusions they did? Because if they're right, I want to know too. So, hmm. um, yeah, definitely, uh, something to consider. So, so, uh, other thing here I want to talk about is your website, you know, like what are you posting on your website? Like what, what's going on there? If people wanted to check out your website, what is that? Oh, my, re- my website's rebeccaonpaper.com mm-hmm. um, and it has just whatever I've done lately. So it mm-hmm. has um, links to my books and some information about that. My comic books, I'm a comic book artist. Um, and yeah, it's just where you can keep up with what, what I'm about and what I'm doing. <laughs> it's yeah. not the most exciting place in the world, but if you want to know what's going on with me, that's where you'll find it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of funny we were talking about because we have our artist who, who uh, made... Uh, your thumbnail for today, you know, for this particular show, and you and you were kind of interested because it's like, oh, somebody else made art about me. Usually, I'm the <laughs> yeah. one that's making art for other people, you know, like and doing it for yeah. them. So, um, but uh, I think your illustrations are great. I'm really glad um, you got to be here on the show today, and I think I'm about ready to take some calls. How about you? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, cool. Um, first, I want to go to River in Michigan. Hey, River in Michigan, you are live with Truth Wanted. What's going on? Um, I've called into this show before, and last time it was about um, specifically objective morality, but um, I've actually, my thoughts have changed a lot in a lot of different areas since then. But the specific question I wanted to ask is, um, I've been having trouble because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, which led to those problems with objective morality in the first place. And um, I've gotten to the point where I have trouble believing anything at all. I'm so skeptical of everything, including the axioms of logic itself and knowledge itself and so on. Like, is anything true or false? Mm, River, did you know there's a name for that? There is? There is. It's called Pyronic Skepticism. So there was this guy, I don't, I don't know, was his name Pyro, I can't remember his name, but it's called Pyronic Skepticism because there was this Greek philosopher who was like super cynical and so skeptical that, um, he, he kind of just burned everything down um, and, and, and you know, couldn't take anything for granted, you know, even even knowledge itself, even skepticism itself, I guess he was skeptical of. And, uh, yeah, that's – I would say I've definitely experienced that myself too. I'm sure Rebecca probably has gotten yeah, to that for point. Sure. So, like, I don't – so, yeah, like, the, as far as solutions to that, that's an interesting question because I think different people would deal with it in different ways. I think at some point you got to accept, like – yeah, I might be a brain in a vat, but I can still process things. I can still have inputs and in- interpret those inputs, and um, I can navigate well, the world with some accuracy. You know, like so. You know, maybe they are at least useful. Maybe they're not true divine knowledge, but you know, there is some value to it, and I can sleep well at night with that. What do you think? Yeah. So, like, that's um, that's a problem that I've thought about before, brain in a vat, and that was actually one of the reasons I left religion was that mm-hmm. problem specifically, and because um, I was like, if I'm a brain in a vat, well, even even if these, and I found out later that the historical accounts weren't reliable, but even if these mm-hmm. historical accounts of Jesus are true, if I'm a brain in a vat, what good are they? If, 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 and how can I use this worldly knowledge to 
say, oh, there's something outside of reality that's divine. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. So, um, but I have no problem with accepting that I will never know that I'm a brand of that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's a bigger problem with me is when I can't, like, even, even if I don't have perfect certainty, which is perfect certainty I would define as knowing that you can't be wrong. Like I would, so some people think they have perfect certainty that there can't be a square circle, yeah, or there can't be a triangle with more than three sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even need that. Um, I just need some way to operate and say, hey, based on my observation, this is most likely. And OCD has basically just taken that away from me, mm. and I'm just wondering how can I convince myself when I'm so skeptical and quote-unquote, I say illogical, but I haven't even established logic yet, um, to the point where I, I just want to escape this hole I've dug myself into, mm. which is... Um, Epistemic I, and, and nihilism, I, I, really, kind of, is what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think Rebecca looks like she has some thoughts on it. Rebecca, what do yeah, you think? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting you were saying how you don't necessarily want perfect certainty. But I think in a way, and I don't know whether this is a religious thing or where it comes from, but this idea of perfect certainty is what's really fucking us all up. This is why we get into this situation, because we have this idea. It's like it's like if you think mermaids exist, and then all day you're out looking for mermaids, and you never find any mermaids because they don't exist. And then someone goes, hey, look at this manatee. And you're like, well, that's not a mermaid, that's bullshit. But it's a manatee. Mm. They're amazing creatures. So... The, the fact that you have this idea of perfect certainty, and I'm not saying this is what you're going for, but the fact we human beings have the idea of perfect certainty, kind of, it's like a super normal stimulus, you know, that idea of like something that feels so good to us. It's like too good to us because it presses all the feel good buttons in our brains. And then we can't mm. accept reality, which is uncertain. I mean, reality maybe isn't uncertain, but we will never be certain of reality. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, the, like, it's really difficult, and maybe there is no answer. Yeah. But what I found really helpful when I get into these situations, and this is, it's not uncommon at all. In fact, people talked about this in responses to the How We Let Go survey, exactly, epistemic nihilism, um, is to do physical things, to do things that you don't have to be thinking so much. So a lot of people talk about meditation and simple movements, and that's something that I would enjoy and recommend also just going out for a walk and feeling the weight of your feet on the ground Mm. you don't need to think you just need to feel just for short times and that was also obviously the sort of advice that you probably heard a lot with ocd but i think it's useful for these sort of philosophical problems as well as the um mental health stuff so i don't know maybe you've heard that before but that's that's all i got so i'm reminded of there's this south park episode from a few years ago it was a two-parter where i believe it's stan they kind of do a parody of the matrix where he kind of he kind of wakes up and realizes reality is all shit and when i mean shit i mean literally shit like there's actual poop everywhere and stuff and he's kind of seeing stuff and i remember this one yeah and it's like it's like kind of almost depressing it's like oh man i can relate to that and and you have this thought of i wonder how the writers are going to resolve this plot like what is the solution here and the end resolution is kind of like well he kind of just has to live with it like he doesn't go back (laughs) he's still seeing this stuff and uh that really struck with me because it's like yeah like we can get to that point but at the end of the day you still gotta eat you still gotta move on and live and do something and 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 at at this point it's like well as a human being, I have to define my own set of values and figure out what I'm going to do. Um, and, and I, I tend to find nobility in, 
in trying to find truth and talking to other people about truth, wanting truth, um, and, you know, just like figuring stuff out and helping out other people on their path because I, I can be just as confused as everybody else. I certainly don't have all the answers, um, but I can find peace in the fact that, hey, at least I'm a little bit closer than I was yesterday to not believing in things that were wrong. You know, like we can at least filter up the stuff that we know is like super not true. So I, I think there's nobility in that, but that's going to be different for everybody. So I don't know. What do you think, River? So like I'm, I, it comes to, yeah, that's the, I, I, I call that the dead end mm. is when you, when you find a realization and you can't find a way out of it. Like for yeah. example, South Park, they find out that the, the reality is literally shit. And they're like, well, this is a dead end because there's no way I'm going to convince myself that it's otherwise. And so I might as well live with it. I mean, at least it not only, but at that point, you also have to realize that not only at the at base level, yeah, it's true. Reality is literal feces, but mm-hmm. um, it's also all these sensory things that aren't feces, that aren't, don't appear to be feces. And so that's something too. And so... And so, like, even if reality is a simulation, for example, um, that's not the only thing that exists. Um, there also exists all these all the sensory experiences that it creates, and that's something valuable in and of itself. That's not mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't really matter if it's what it's created by, if it's created by atoms or if it's created by ones and zeros. Yeah. So Soren Kierkegaard yeah. talks about this. Um, he would have called himself. I mean, the language we use now is Christian existentialist because he kind of realized, mm. man, I can't. I can't prove this thing, this God belief that I have, but I'm just going to take the leap of faith and live my life to, you know, whatever it is. Now, obviously, I would disagree with Kierkegaard. I don't think we should make the quite the same leaps of faith that he did, but we do have to make a leap of faith by saying, yeah, I don't think I'm a brain in a vat because I'm certainly not acting like it. I'm certainly not trying to get out or whatever. Maybe, But, you know, even if I was, it almost does seem like I can't get out of it, right? So, again, it's it's kind of just making the best of the situation that we have and overcoming, you know, uh, staring into the abyss, right? And just figuring out, man, where do I go from here? Um, and I, as someone who has OCD, I can't imagine what that's like because I don't have OCD myself. Um, I, I, I imagine that probably just multiplies kind of the angst that comes with that. But um, you can, for me, like this show is 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 a great way of, of kind of relieving that, talking with other people. And, and I think Rebecca's right. And yeah, even if it's just a walk, even if it's just like some sort of exercise that you can kind of relax and realize that, hey, everything is OK. I'm still here. I'm just moving on, living life. And um, all things considered, I can say for myself, I've I've I'm a pretty lucky person to be where I'm at. And uh, I, I, I hope other people can say the same for themselves. And I hope you can too, River. But yeah, as far as like, here's the chemical formula to like get you out of it. Man, I don't have that. And I think you're right. I'm not sure anybody does. That's, I think it's, sorry, go on. Sorry, yeah, that's, um, that's I mean, that's fine with me in a mm-hmm. way. Like, so I'm just having this difficulty because OCD, it's like the ultimate call out machine. It just, it calls me out on everything even when I think I'm right. And so, and so like this morning I was like, well, I don't, I don't care if I do one small thing wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to, if I, if I do one small thing wrong, I have the power to do that thing wrong. And I'll use doing that wrong and finding out that's wrong as, as a vehicle to move towards truth. And I don't care what, what the reality is. I'm just going to, 
um, move forward and and because um, it, it 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 questions whether I should just do nothing or do the things that I want. Mm, yes, and, one of the so, oldest questions of philosophy, right? Whether or not someone yeah. should kill themselves. I mean, seriously, that's a thing people have been contemplating for a long time. What do you do? Like, it's 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 tough. Yeah, it's the human condition. But anyway, go on. But I, I just said, you know what? I'm an, I make the decisions around here. I am in control of this body. I'm going to go do what I want to do. Mm. And I'm going to live to the highest values that I want to be true. So, like, I want it to be true that there's things I should and should not do. So I'm going to live up to those values until I either find out that they're correct or that they're not. And, um, and, but I was doing this for a little bit, and it worked pretty well until OCD was like, you're being dishonest with yourself. You're lying to yourself. You're, you're not being honest. You're, and, and I, I couldn't have, really have a response to that. And so I went back to the stagnation, and that's pretty much where I am now. Hmm. So I'm trying to get, I, find a way to get out of it. But it's okay if you don't have the perfect formula hmm. because I, it's something I figure out over time. Sure. Rebecca had something to say. Yeah, I don't think um, – I mean, I've had similar conversations with myself, and I can see why you would go to that um, thought that you're being dishonest with yourself. But I don't think it is dishonest because even if we can't know for sure, like, what's really going on because we're only human beings with human brains, you can sort of do – and I hate to invoke this sort of Christian apologist talk, but you can do a Pascal's wager on this, right? Ooh. So if <laughs> if you're – if you're right that, like, say, you know, other people matter and other people's subjective experiences matter and we should treat them well, and you decide not to do that, then that's really bad. But if you're wrong mm. and other people don't matter and you are, it's just a solipsistic nightmare, like you're just alone in the universe, you're just a brain, you're not even a brain, and you carry on acting as if other people matter and being a good person, that doesn't do any harm at all. So that, like, if you just do a basic trade-off on those decisions, you can say, I don't know for sure, but in the absence of complete surety, I'm going to act in the way that is most likely to be, you know, to be the best result. Hmm. Yeah. No, that sounds good. Mm, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you're always going to be making appeals to your own value system, and you can't escape mm. that. And that's something people are struggle with, too, because it's like, oh, I want to appear to this objective standard and it's like yeah you know whatever standard you figure out is right for you is going to be because you figured out it's right for you you know ultimately <laughs> you you are in the way of whatever thing you find to be fulfilling for you and so you might as well work with that might as well try to understand that and live that so that you know you can have a good life because that's it's as far as i know that's all we can do so um, mm -hmm. anyway, uh, River, this was a great conversation. I want to get to some other folks here, but thanks so much for calling in. And yeah, thank, you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you find what you're looking for. I hope um, you you can talk to somebody about your OCD as well. Someone definitely more uh, expert than than Rebecca and I as well, because that <laughs> I know that can't be fun, and and that's not something I struggle with. I I really can't relate. I'm I'm in. My personal life, I could be very messy. It, doing work is fine. I, I I can do that stuff, but like I I I don't know. I don't know how people do that, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, okay. So, uh, oh, one thing I forgot to say before the beginning of the show, you might be noticing, I'm uh, wearing some cool threads tonight. I've got the uh, hoodie on and the hat, both of which 
you can purchase at teesprings.com. Um, and if you look at the Atheist Experience Network, you can find some of our Truth Wanted merchandise. So just wanted to throw that out there, guys, if you uh, want to support the show in another way. Ooh, besides, look at that throw pillow. Oh, That's yeah, nice. we, got the, we got it all. Yeah, I need. I might have to order the pillows next, actually, because uh, <laughs> I got to see what those are like. But, yeah, I can confirm this is super comfy. I love the hat. It's really great, guys. So check that out if you haven't already. Uh, but let's go ahead and go to our next caller here. So next I want to get to Doug calling from Florida. Hey, hey, Doug. How's it going? Hey, everybody. How are you? Doing all right, Doug. How about you? I can't complain, none. Cool, cool. I was, I was running through some YouTube videos the other night, and I can't remember which one. But there was a guy who had a theory that the whole human sacrifice story, the whole myth was brought up to stop people from killing children. You're talking uh, about the, the Abraham story in the Bible, the story of Abraham trying and attempting to sacrifice his son, um, you know, as a favor for God and God kind of stopping it last mm-hmm. minute. That story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Jesus story. Okay. That, because I guess in that time of that era around the Mediterranean, human sacrifices was quite prevalent. People would kill people to think it would make the sun rise or bury kids in post holes to the buildings. That non-believers, people using logic, made up the whole story to stop people from using, from continuing human sacrifice. And that makes, I started thinking about it. That makes more sense to me than any of the other you know, why would God create a son just killing? And when he can forgive sins, you know, without if he's all powerful and everything, why do you need a human sacrifice? So that was the ultimate. So now we can stop. Or the Isaac story. God didn't, you know, stop the stop his hand from killing his son. That it was all just made up myths or, or that started to end human sacrifice. Have you ever heard that before, that theory before? You know, that's interesting because I've heard there are so many interpretations about the Abraham story in particular. Um, and I think, you know, the it's it's funny to me because you ask Christians what they think about it, but I always turn to, like, the Jewish texts, you know, and, like, the, the Jewish kind of uh, scholars on the issues of rabbis because it's like, well, it was their texts first, so I want to see what they're like. And, and mainly the stuff I've heard is, you know, your loyalty to God should be so so devout that you're willing to kill your own family over it. That's one interpretation. Another one is um, God has a plan and that eventually everything is just in the end. So you just got to follow God and things will work out even if things seem kind of crazy at the time. Um, and uh, obviously there, there's probably some other symbolism in there too um, relating to other kind of Jewish ideas. Of course, uh, God provided I believe it was a goat for him to sacrifice at the end instead. So yeah. there was still a requirement for sacrifice, but it wasn't, the, mm-hmm. you know, the son. So that's kind of a metaphor for Jesus, right? That God kind of gave the sacrifice mm-hmm. as for his son, for humanity, instead of us being punished. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like kind of the Christian interpretation of that. So, yeah, there's different ideas. Um, I don't know the theological implications because I'm not someone who particularly believes in any kind of theology. But I know that scholars have probably talked about it in different ways. Have you heard any of this, Rebecca? Um, not much, to be honest. I wasn't mm-hmm. brought up Christian. I've never been a Christian. So these, I come to these stories completely fresh. Mm. And a story like that, to me, just sounds horrible. <laughs> I mean, 
I'm I'm sure it was intended. All of these, all of this, everything in you know in religious texts has a reason and a purpose for being there. Obviously, they there were decisions made about what was put in there. Sure. And I'm sure they had, you know, I'm sure there was an intention for it to be interpreted one way or the other at some point. But coming to it as someone who doesn't have any kind of like I've got no bias towards thinking God's a good guy. So when I read that story, he does not come across as a good guy. It's like, why are you hmm. fucking with this dude? That's interesting because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, because that's that's just not an interpret. Like, because growing up in the church, right, mm-hmm. I, I was ex- kind of inoculated to these different ideas first so that I wouldn't think of that I- situation as kind of screwed up. And I think now <laughs> I think it's kind of screwed up. Right. But like. I um I do kind of cringe when other people kind of look at it and say like oh this is just an ex- totally terrible really awful because I I do agree like there there is a purpose to that text being there mm. um and I don't you know the people who wrote that may not have also necessarily thought that was based on real events certainly a lot of in history they did but like you know there's there's a purpose in storytelling in the Bible and I think if you approach it with that kind of I guess a more scholarly lens a more theological lens you can kind of you know, tear out the bits of it. Not saying, by the way, that that ultimately justifies the story and the stuff that it puts out, because I do think people take that story and run wild with it and do all kinds of crazy things that they should not be doing. But uh, that being said, there is a reason why it's there, whether it's for total authoritarian control or telling a story about devotion. You know, that's going to be up to the reader. Does that vibe with you, Doug? Yeah, you know. I'm atheist. I'm, I'm firebrand atheist. I'm mm-hmm. anti-theist. I was brought up in the church. My dad was a preacher. I've heard all this. I don't think any of it really much. Yeah, this Legends are born, myths, stories. You're talking about people that walked around in nomadic for hundreds and thousands of years that stared up at the stars and dreamed up stories and myths and legends grew. I don't. We certainly know the flood never happened. The Adam and creation, that's ridiculous. I don't know if there are Abraham and Isaac. And the, but the more I listen, I don't know if Jesus ever was a real person, because if Christians had any evidence or any kind of... They would be running halftime commercials on the Super Bowl with them. If they had any, any concrete... Well, they run billboards around these parts. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. I drive cross-country. Mm-hmm. And an over-the-road truck driver. I can't count the for truth billboards yeah. I have seen. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, forgive me for my sins. It's you can't turn on the radio, uh, TV, billboard. It's everywhere, and it's I, I really it was all myths, legends, storytells brought up because none of it. When you really start looking at this, none of it makes sense. Not any of it. And the more we learn about science and technology, the, the more and more ridiculous it does sound. You know, I, I agree with you, Doug, you know, that if we're looking at these stories from a literal perspective, then, yeah, I don't think there's – I mean, Abraham story in particular, there's definitely not any evidence out there as far as stories like that. Now, New Testament stuff, people will quibble with you. But Old Testament stuff, you know, and there again, there's arguments to be made that the original people who held these texts – didn't necessarily think that a lot of these stories were literal. In fact, I mean, like the Jewish tradition was to kind of argue over these texts, you know, like that's what the Talmud um, is all about. I mean, these are, we're talking about rabbis who are, um, you know, who have different interpretations and those interpretations change over years and years and years. So like even back then, 
if we're looking, you know, hundreds of years back, there was not a complete consensus on what these stories really meant. And it's going to look especially foreign to us as modern readers. So, you know, there's something to that to take account. But yeah, if we're going to, if someone were to come to me and say, ah, yes, everything in the Bible is literally true, I'm definitely going to quibble with that because I don't think so. <laughs> I think there's some stuff in there that just uh, doesn't really fly with what we know today. So, yeah, we live on a flat earth when we have a dome and the turtle we're riding on a turtle's back with elephants holding how much ridiculous stuff can you really make up you know well when when you live in a pre-scientific age i mean you can get away with a lot you know uh but now thanks to peer review we can kind of look at things a bit more critically i think so that's also something to consider the the internet these guys you know you guys included and your call screener michelle is going to give her a shout out she's a really nice person but the things you guys do are really open. You know, Aaron Ra, Matt Dillahunty, uh, the evidence guy, that history of God that uh, started talking about the Babylonian story, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and how it all blended together to make up the story of uh, Yahweh. And I just say you guys are doing a good thing. Well, thank you, Doug. I really I, appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, like, well, I'm going to keep doing my thing here. For sure, and, and Matt and those guys will keep doing ours, and Rebecca is doing some good stuff too, so i got to give some shout-outs to her. But uh, <laughs> I want to go ahead and move on to some other callers here, Doug, if you don't mind. But thanks again for calling in and, and kind of giving us your thoughts on that. Now, Rebecca, I didn't actually know that you didn't grow up Christian. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's, it, well, it's, it's not particularly interesting here. Um, I, I actually just, just checked before I got on the call with you. Um, and the latest survey, um, I can't remember who it was, oh, the British Social Attitudes Survey in 2018 said um, 52% of people living in the UK say they have no religion. So we're actually in the majority. Really? Yeah. Now, how? wait, how recent is that uh, information? That's 2018. Know? That's 2018. Wow, okay, so you yeah. actually become more than half of the population. Now, now that's people saying no religion. No religion though. No, now obviously mm. that comes with the caveat of there are people who will say no religion and that does not mean that they are one skeptical, yeah. two don't have some beliefs that yeah, uh, are, might be questionable or why that we <laughs> might call religious, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually I live I live near Brighton, just outside Brighton, which was the year I moved. Um, like three or four years ago, they declared it the most godless city in the UK because it had the smallest proportion of people who said they adhered to any particular religion. Um, but it's also one, and it's like the woo capital of the UK as well. Woo. We have Reiki, we have, um, you know, ghosts, we oh, have listen, healing oh, tarot. Let me tell everything. you, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you here because <laughs> I, so uh, for Valentine's Day weekend, I, I was out and uh, I picked up a magazine here in Austin that was kind of talking about some of the local services and stuff. And they had a whole thing on spiritual kind of practices here. I swear to God, I saw a holistic vet care place where, oh. you know, like just like uh, the acupuncture, uh, light. I mean, some light therapy is kind of interesting if you study, but like just just everything you could imagine on the spectrum of bullshit. And uh, I still have it. It's at my apartment. I got to go look at that. Uh, because I want to go over some of the stuff. That, I mean, because, yeah, because like that kind of stuff, people really make some money off of that. Yeah. And it's just it not, not to make people realize that, yeah, it can be entertaining, but also like it's a business. Like people are making their profits from 
other exploiting people sometimes so it's difficult to tell so this is we look into a lot of this sort of stuff for our podcast Mm -hmm. um also not so much alternative medicine although we will we do touch on it sometimes but because neither of us are scientists we feel a bit leery of getting into that area but psychics for example we've been to see psychics um all sorts of things along those lines and like knowing whether someone is a genuine they genuinely believe that they can contact the dead Mm. or whether they just want your money it's a really fine line because I think you can, I mean, I used to read, tar- that, so I, I was raised without religion, but I sort of fell into a kind of, I mean, I was Wiccan, I was a witch for many years, um, and I did a lot of kind of woo-related stuff, as you would imagine. Mm. Um, many Wiccans do, although not all. It's actually interesting. There are quite a few atheist witches out and about now, which is nice to see. Anyway, um, so I used to read tarot cards. And I believed that I was getting messages from the cards because I would put down the cards and they would have these symbols on them and they would seem to relate really well to the problem that my friend had told me about. And Hmm. so I thought, well, that must be some kind of magic working in the cards. Ah. Now looking back, it's fairly obvious that I'm just using normal social skills, right? I know my friend, I'm picking up on stuff that they need to hear. The cards actually make a really useful prop because it's hard for me to tell my friend, oh, you should dump that guy. But if the cards say you should dump that guy, (laughs) that's much easier. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it's a, but you can, my point is the people who are, who are doing the thing, whatever it is, whether it's alternative medicine or psychic, whatever, they may very well believe that they have those powers. And that makes a whole different conversation yes. and a whole different approach you need to take with them than someone who's just a straight up charlatan who's got an earpiece in and is cheating. Right. Yeah. And that's 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 what makes these kind of conversations really difficult sometimes, too, because you don't know. It's not just always bad actors. It's people who have genuinely convinced themselves that they have these abilities, too. And like I I, I there's. There are documentaries about this kind of stuff. I mean, there's people who would talk about like, yeah, I used to believe this stuff and, and I genuinely believed I could like uh, bend stuff with my mind and things like that. And like he didn't yeah. people think now I, I don't know. I don't know people's hearts. I don't know how much they're trying to retro, uh, you know, uh, try to change their story a little bit, maybe to make them seem more powerful. But uh, it definitely becomes more difficult when the other person you talk to doesn't know that what they're doing isn't kosher um but anyway i want to get to some more calls here if you don't mind um let's go ahead and go to tom in the uk hey tom you are live on truth wanted what's up hey guys uh yeah i confirm what rebecca was saying there about the uk (laughs) religious wise we are pretty good but we believe in a lot of bullshit well that's (laughs) that's i i think it happens like because here's the thing like I was warned away from like psychics and stuff in the Christian church. You know, like a lot of Christians you talk to, and that's not all of them because a lot of Christians here, you know, they, they'll they say whatever. But like if you grew up in a certain string of Christianity, you're kind of inoculated from this other stuff because you're told to stay away from it. So you don't see it as much here as you might see it in the UK if you don't have, if you're not growing up with kind of that prevention method, you know, then people just kind of discover what's out there. So anyway, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think, well, I think of where Britain's quite old, there's a lot of beliefs in ghosts and all that kind of rubbish. Mm. I saw an interesting chart earlier where it was showing that the belief, as belief in religion goes down, belief in other stuff's going way up. Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I so think it's I think um, a place in religion with other woo nonsense to counteract it. I think a lot of people are rejecting religion because 
Um, I mean, there are many good reasons to reject religion, um, but perhaps because, you know, it's homophobic or like whatever, that just religious people are horrible, so I'm not going to be religious anymore. You haven't become an atheist because you're a critical thinker. You've become an atheist because you don't like what you see yeah. in the religious community that you left. And so you don't apply, you don't have the critical thinking skills to apply. And this is not, you know, in any way your fault because we should really be taught these things. I certainly didn't have these skills. Um mm -hmm as is obvious from my tarot reading anecdote. But um, so if you don't have those skills, then you're just going to pick up the next thing that comes along where, I mean, there's lots of people who have very, you know, inclusive, lovely, friendly communities of woo. So yeah. why not yeah, go to them? So, so anyway, what I was calling up about orig um, originally was I wanted Dan's opinion on the phrase babies are born atheist mm. because I've having a real problem with this recently. Um, every other week, people seem to be talking about and arguing with it on the atheist experience page and other pages. And I kind of think it's utterly pointless to give babies that label. I just don't see any worth to it whatsoever. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start first. Um, you know, it's a phrase that comes up every once in a while, and, and I definitely see it too. To me, like, babies don't really have the cognitive abilities to have beliefs in the same way that's that I exactly, think. That's exactly yeah, my like, opinion. That people online seem to be uh, uh, utterly against it. You know, they seem to say, no, no, it, they are atheists. But, so, but, well, so here's why I think it comes up, though, because there is an evangelical rhetoric that says, oh, you actually, like, Jesus is with you, like, or the Holy Spirit or, or God is with you from the beginning because you have some sort of moral sense to you or something, you know, like you can hear the God in you um, from the very beginning from when you're born. And that's why they say like these babies are kind of Christian babies because they're, you know, everybody's a Christian on some kind of esoteric level, even though, you know, there's no evidence of that. It's just a thing people say. So I think that's kind of a response to that. It's like, oh, well, babies are born atheists because they don't have those beliefs, which Yes, that's true, but like they don't really have but, any but, beliefs. Yeah, they don't have any beliefs. Yeah, it's like so... saying my cat doesn't have any. But my cat's an atheist, you know. Yeah, I mean it's not wrong. It's just kind of. It's just kind of. I don't know. I. It's kind of pointless a little bit. But if if it's a response to a claim of oh everybody's Christian from the start, then yeah, then then that that's where it makes sense. Otherwise, it's just kind of a. I don't. It's kind of a moot point to me. What do you think, Rebecca? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. Uh... I mean, it depends what your definition of atheist is, I suppose. Yeah, that too, that too. I, I, like, I think often people think of an atheist as someone who is rejecting a belief in a deity as opposed to just someone who is without the belief in the deity. Um, and to define people who, like, to define people who've never encountered a deity, for example, if we were to meet some people... Let's make them adults to avoid the confusion of like babies not having beliefs. But if we went to a, an island, an isolated island, and those people were never formed a, a religion, which seems unlikely since it seems to be a thing humans do. But let's just imagine this thought experiment. They have never formed a religion. They don't have any deities. Do we call them atheists? If we do, it's kind of weird to define them by our deity and say you are without something that we have. Like they're not without anything. They are just who they are. And I kind of feel the same way about babies. Yeah. Yeah, I like I I feel the same way. Again, it's just like it, it goes back to definitions. If you're talking about a lack of belief in something, if you're talking about a rejection, you know, either way, you know, a baby's just doesn't have just doesn't have a religious belief in it, and it's not possible. So yeah, I mean, that to summarize, I mean, that's it. That's that's my thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, you're right. Your cat's an atheist by that extent of the logic. Um, all the animals. 
you see your atheist, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of inanimate objects. Well, yeah, you know, and that's, and, and, and some people, you know, they bring that up as like a criticism of that point. They're like, well, that just means inanimate objects are atheists. Like, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. what? Like, that doesn't really mean, you know, like, is that a bad thing? Like, it's whatever. But anyway. If it just means without belief in deity, then anything without belief in deity is an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. That includes my mug. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyway, does that answer your question, Tom? Oh, hello, Tom. Are you still with us? Oh, all right, Tom. Well, I'm going to assume that uh, answered your question here. I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you go because um, I can't hear you. But yeah, I think I think we answered that question pretty specifically. He's probably gone to bed. Yeah, I guess so. Right? I don't know what he's doing up at this hour. Oh, man. I, I, every time, every time I get someone from your country, I feel so bad because <laughs> yeah. it's always super tiring for you guys. And, and I'm, But I'm just glad you're here. Thanks again for, That's for fine. sticking on the show. I've got the day off tomorrow. It's oh, chill. good. Good, good, good. <laughs> All right. So next, let's go ahead and go to Fred in Idaho. Fred coming in on Truth Wanted. What's up? Hey, Objectively Dan, Rebecca, great to speak with you both. Absolutely. Uh, love all your content. Rebecca, love your video. Oh, thank you. Um, y- yeah, thank you. Uh, so I feel like my uh, my topic is going to fit in well with uh, the call, not the last one, but the one before with a little bit of mythology and legends. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a recent deconvert from Mormonism slash Christianity, depending on how you want to identify it. Right. Yeah. Well, good um, for you. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we, we have a piece of uh, mythology in Mormonism that is very, very fun. Um, it's called the three Nephites. Have you ever heard of that? The three Nephites. Um, uh, is that a progressive rock band from the early <laughs> 2000s, late 90s? <laughs> No, but it should be. It should be. I feel like that would be a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the three Nephites. So so for anybody who doesn't know, Nephites are the the band of Israelites that came over 600 BC to the Americas and started the started the human race here in the Americas, which of course uh, allegedly bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> allegedly. yeah. <laughs> Anthropologically just does not make sense. Right. Uh, but however, that's, that's what they, that's what uh, here in Mormonism, they, they hold true to. And uh, they, we also talked about how Christ came over and he did the whole Sermon on the Mount thing called 12 disciples here, just like he did in Jerusalem. And there were three Nephites out of those disciples, the, the apostles, that did the same thing that John the Beloved, Beloved did. They wished to stay on the earth and tarry past death. And that has lent to a lot of really fun legends and folklore and mythology in Mormonism, where someone will tell the tale around a campfire, where their car broke down on the side of the road, and they had, nothing, they had no way to save themselves. And Lo and behold, three men dressed all in white showed up and fixed their car without any tools, gave yes. them food, and they didn't weren't even carrying any. <laughs> I have heard of this now. Yes, and I think I, I listen, yeah. I've listened to uh, How to Heretic. Uh, you know those guys that uh, they were on my show uh, a while back, um, and uh, yeah, that's a Mormon bit, a little trivia that. Uh, I think I've heard before, like, and it's just kind of, well, from my understanding, it is a folk legend that still kind of appears today in people's circles where people will be like, well, in, in the same sense that people will be like, oh, someone was there to help me. Like that, this is a miracle or, or, or this happened. They'd be like, ah, it's, it's the legend. The legends are true. I saw the Nephites or whatever. Right. Like that's kind of how it works. Oh, 100%. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm on a, uh, what's that group with a bunch of people that I served the Mormon mission with. 
and I'm the only one that deconverted. They're all still heavy believers. And before I called in, I, I, I asked them, I said, oh, so what do you guys all think about the three Nephites? And the pattern that conversation went is the same pattern I see whenever I talk to Mormons about it. It always starts out as a joke. Everyone thinks it's funny, but then eventually the conversation will devolve in, in, or, or evolve, depending on your point of view, into someone saying, no, but seriously, this is my story. Yeah. My uncle, and then they'll go into their mythology, and it's so fun. It's one of my favorite things about Mormonism. Oh. Yeah, I guess because, like, if you're invested in that belief structure, you know, you can you can recognize on the surface that some of the stuff fa- sounds funny, but you have to defend it at the end of the day because it's a part of your yeah. thing, you know? And, like, even if it sounds ridiculous. But anyway, Rebecca had something to say. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's a really interesting observation about that pattern of, like, when you bring up some... Last summer, me and Kat, for the podcast, we went to investigate um, Rendlesham Forest, which is a place where there was a big UFO flap some time ago. And uh, we were talking to local people there about it, trying to get some, you know, some idea of how seriously people took this whole UFO thing, because it's kind of what their area is famous for. And I did exactly what you did. I approached people and I was like, what do you think about these UFOs then? In a kind of like curious but sort of cheerful way and they laugh and they sort of go oh you know and then you ask them like one or two more questions or you just like look at them and before you know it they'll start telling you oh well actually my granddad saw something and they've got the whole story (laughs) but there's like a resistance to I don't know whether this is the same thing because it's like it's almost like they're testing you out to see whether you're going to start taking the piss out of them or something and then if you seem like you're not they will open up and tell you the story that they've heard. And they clearly enjoy telling it. And it's often hard to tell how much they're telling you the story because they believe it versus how much they just enjoy the telling of a tale. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't exclusive to Mormonism. There's also uh, the tale of, like, the wandering Jew uh, is is another one. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, these other kinds of things uh, that have with people. I know there's another Mormon story, actually, that uh, I, I really like. I think we've talked about it before, um, like uh, – the idea that um, Cain was still wandering the earth um, and there was a Mormon prophet, I believe, who uh, said that he saw it one time and they kind of – and he's supposed to be like hairy and stuff. So like the idea was what he saw was Cain, which <gasps> is also a Bigfoot. Yeah, which is <gasps> – <laughs> yeah. yep. It that all makes true. sense. That is, that, that's part of it. I think it's great. I mean, like, yeah, cool, whatever. Like, it's just, it incorporate incorporate Bigfoot into your religion. That's why not, you know. So, and, and, and I, just just a quick point. I know you got other calls to move on to, but just quick point on that uh, Bigfoot. One of my favorite parts about it is it, it it's still perpetuated because it was put into this one book that's all about forgiveness. And it's such a weird thing to throw into the book on forgiveness. Like, it could easily fall into the annals of history, and Mormonism would forget it. But a prophet in like the 70s decided to put it in his book about forgiveness just as a side story. Because of that, we can't let it go. It's like, well, it was only in the 70s. He said it again. It's got to be true. And so it continues on. And all oh, makes course. my heart sing. I love it. Of course. So, friend, I got to ask you, though. So, like, when you are talking to people about this stuff, because obviously, I mean, you used to be a believer. So you have that connection to the culture. Um, like, do you, are you approaching when you hear these stories? Are you just like, uh huh, yeah? Are you kind of nodding along? Do you question it? Do you like give some counterpoints? Like, what what's your you know? Because I because mean, you mentioned this WhatsApp group, and I'm like, what what's the group dynamic there like? Uh, it's still evolving for me and a lot of people because I I've only deconverted within the past year and a half, and so uh, a lot of people are very aware of it, but they don't know if I'm like 
is, is you know, there's the, is he an angry ex-Mormon? Is he, is he an angry atheist? Mm. And I, I try not to bring that into my interpersonal relations. I do all that on Twitter. So, so because of that, I feel like a lot of people are a little bit more open to talk to me about it. Um, it learning a lot of charitable listening from watching all the ACA shows. Eric Murphy's been helping me a lot with that. Um, but all of you are just fantastic with it. So it, it definitely helps with the dynamic to answer your question. Um, cool. The, 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 I, I do joke about being in a pop state, but in very lighthearted terms. And I, I don't try to directly attack anybody, and that definitely helps. Yeah, because, like, I, you know, my understanding is you – there is a narrative about ex-Mormons similar to ex-Christians that, like, you just uh, are, are are wandering away from the faith. And, like, I, I know that's probably something kind of hard to navigate because, like, I – I, you know, obviously you're telling your side of the story and I don't know if your friends and other people are going to be open to that because they have a stake in their own beliefs and that, that makes these kinds of conversations hard. So I was just curious on how you deal with that. I'm glad that, um, you at least have some conversations with your friends and stuff. And at least, um, you know, the ones that do know about it, you're still talking to so, because sometimes it's not the case and, uh, that's, it's really sad when that happens. So good for you, Fred. Good for you. Yeah, most definitely. Well, um, uh, Rebecca, did you have any final thoughts here? No, just great story. Okay. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a three Nephites, I guess. Not prog rock band from late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, but something else. Fred, thanks again for calling into the show, bud. And uh, we'll see you next time when we call. Um, so I got uh, one other call here on the line, but we have some open lines here, and we still got some time left on the show. I saw Nathan. I saw you call and drop out, bud, if you're watching. Come on, call back, okay? And uh, we'll try to get to everybody that calls in here. So if you want to try to call in, we'll see. We, we still got probably another 30 minutes or so to go. Um, and so, yeah, definitely we got some lines open. So please feel free to call in with the number down there at the corner. Next, uh, I want to get to Bobby. Bobby in California. You are live on Truth Wanted. What's going on? Hey, man. Uh, you guys can hear me good? I can, There's a little bit of background noise, but I can hear you otherwise. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm walking to a quiet area. I'll be there okay. in like 10 seconds. Gotcha. Sorry about that. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, what, so yeah, what? I wanted to discuss a little bit about life extension research. I was wondering if either of you um, uh, have heard about it yet. So I guess I'll start first so that I'll, I want to hear Rebecca. So I know about okay. how they take certain jellyfishes and uh, that kind of seem to live kind of forever they kind of like rebirth yeah, themselves. The and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they and they kind of are are looking into that to see what the applications are for humans, um, and you know, obviously, uh, the the trying to lengthen the length of our telomeres because our telomeres get shorter over time, uh, and so Sweet. I know there's kind of research into that. I think that's pretty much the extension <laughs> of my knowledge, Rebecca. What's the extent okay. of your knowledge on on life extension? I only heard about those immortal jellyfish like a few days ago on a um, on a documentary, and I just okay. like I think I'm almost too skeptical now because I was just like he's lying to me. David Attenborough is lying. Why is he lying? Why would he make up this crazy story? <laughs> like I had to go Google it. But um, I have I have heard about these people doing experiments where they dramatically reduce calor caloric intake. And they think that that okay, might have sweet. something to do with extending life. Well, it doesn't sound that yeah. sweet to me. It sounds horrible. <laughs> like, if that's what I have to do, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a dramatic <laughs> reduction. Like, you hardly get to eat anything. Mm. Um, I mean, it sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, obviously, like, as atheists, um, you know, most of us agree that we only get one go at this. So if you can have a few more yeah. years and, you, and your body's in good condition, you can enjoy yeah. them. Um, yeah, I think it's amazing. 
Sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's great. That's great that you brought up uh, calorie restriction. Um, it's it's one of the most popular, lax, uh, promising lax extension treatments out there. But I mean, there's two long-term uh, monkey studies, um, and there's only a five percent increase in one of the studies, and the other study had like a two percent increase in lifespan. So, um, if do you remember science, quite you know, how low they're saying we'd have to get our calorie intake? Because I remember yeah. being shocked uh, be, at how low it'd be it between, was. It'd be around like forty percent, which is a lot. Oh. Ooh, yeah, you need to be careful of malnutrition. Listen, <laughs> I just started a new workout but, thing recently and uh, trying to cut on my diet and stuff. That's that's hard enough as it is. I don't want to go yeah. any lower. Yeah, but you know, I guess if few, I have to. Uh, there's actually a few different um, promising life extension diets that isn't discussed nearly enough. But yeah, I, um, I'm about to start my master's soon and um, get involved in life extension research because I mean it's just so exciting. Really? Um, I, I, literally, I literally know of a. Um, like my research will help us live to 150, 200 years old, um, really healthy. Wow. Well, what uh, kind of what kind of research is 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 giving you that conclusion? Yeah, um, so a lot of animal models right now have had their lifespan extended. It's about um, I, I personally uh, recently gathered and organized uh, around seven hundred different studies in mice that extended a lifespan between ten percent and fifty percent. Um, you know, there's drugs and supplements, gene therapies, stem cell therapies, diets, um, even low dose gamma radiation and uh, pineal gland um, transplants or ovary transplants and some really interesting ones. Hmm. Um, and so, and there's like thousands more emerging in other modeled organisms. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, mice are cool, but what about humans, right? Um, so uh, a lot of these drugs and supplements uh, have been tested on humans to target specific diseases. Uh, if you just look up clinicaltrials.gov and type in, you know, um, EGCG or Royal Jelly or um, Dacetinab or Quercetin, there's a whole list. Um, okay. I can email them to you if you want. Uh, later. Maybe um, if uh, maybe if but, someone's nice enough to put something in the chat or something, or if you're on the chat, you want to share some okay. stuff with other people. Yeah. 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 Um, for sure. And so you know, you type that in, and you'll see that that there's a lot of completed studies with the results of uh, successful trials being done in humans with these ranging from like cardiovascular disease, cancers, diabetes. And, you know, that's just, that's just, uh, that goes to show that, you know, they're, they're really promising lexus treatment even in humans. <clears throat> so just, so what we got to do is we got to combine these, you know, um, and then that'll help us live to 150, 200, like really easily. Huh? Well, I don't know about really easily. I mean, it seems like, <laughs> I don't know. It seems like all things considered, most of us can't even make it to a hundred. You know, like yeah. uh, maybe I, I, but I, I have to admit, I don't know enough about this kind of research to really say what kind of predictions we make. I can say that, uh, you know, any kind of predictions we've ever made about our scientific <laughs> progress uh, as, as humans go has been pretty much wrong in terms of time spans, you know? So I don't know if it's, it'll be, if it's in my lifetime, that's cool. Um, but uh, I don't know. That's, oh, but yeah, that, man, it's happening. That's cool that you're researching that kind of stuff. I hope, Bobby, when you get that yeah. research down, you send um, your research to the ACA so we can get that stuff first. As long as it's <laughs> FDA approved and everything, um, you know, I'd, I'd be interested yeah. in that. What do you think about it? Uh, what, what do you think about atheism and, and the defeat of death? Um, I, I think it's like uh, yeah. that for atheism. So what are your thoughts? That was actually going to yeah. be my next question for you, Bobby. But I, I guess okay. since you asked me, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I don't, you know, so a lot okay. of people have this idea that, oh, like, well, we, I wouldn't want to live my whole life anyway, because by the time I get to the end of it, you know, I'm, I, for some people, they don't, uh, they're not in the best condition, you know, and so they can't do the things yeah. that they want to do anyway and stuff. Now, if I was a healthy human being 
and I got to extend my life. If I got the body that I have now and I could get that for like 200 <laughs> yeah. years, um, I, probably looks pretty I good don't think too, I'd man. mind that per se. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, you know, people have different thoughts about this. And, I, and I've been conflicted myself because on the one hand, I want to say, yeah, like, I, like, why don't I just live the life I live and then just move on and then just, you know, once I'm done with it, I'm done with it. But, you know, if I could live and it, if it's in the right conditions, I would want to stick around for a bit longer. I don't know about forever. That's a lot. That's a yeah. commitment. But, uh, you know, if it's if it helps me out for a couple a decade or two, like seems like I mean, like we've already it's so fascinating because as far as humans today, like we're already living longer than people were oh, 100 yeah. years ago, 200 years ago. And those people, a lot of them are living their lives just fine. Certainly not all of them. Um, but like, you know, they don't they don't want to, you know, end things sooner. And, and again, that's not with every single case. But for the vast majority of them, a lot of them are just getting along fine. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Um, but that's kind of it's I. I if if you gave me the option to extend my life, I, I would, I probably want to wait till I was a bit older to figure that out and see how my life's going okay. up to that point. Maybe uh, well, we always have the option to choose death. You know, like you can be ten thousand years true. old and you can still jump in front of a car. Well, so be self driving. So. Maybe, but we also have inhibitors that prevent us from making those kinds of choices too. You know, yeah. like we're we're we're, tr- we're always trying to help ourselves right. in most cases. That now some people aren't in the right mental condition and other kinds of things where they, you know, they make decisions that that don't benefit them. But you know, regardless, for most a lot a lot of people, they they want to survive just like anybody else. But Rebecca, what what are your thoughts yeah. on you know extending life and and kind of living forever? I guess. Um... It depends whether you're having children or not, mm. because you need to make space for those new people, right? You're, yeah. Like, we only yeah. have so much space on the Earth. I guess we could expand to other planets and stuff, if that's... But there is yeah. a... I don't know when we'll reach it, or maybe we have already reached it. I've heard people arguing that, but there is a carrying capacity for this Earth. Yeah. So if people aren't dying off, but we're still having children then that's going to be a problem. That's interesting. That reminds me of a story I read when I was younger about a society of people that could basically live forever. And uh, when the children got older and they wanted to look up to people, they would look up to their parents and their parents were still looking up to their parents and their parents. (laughs) And then like stuff wasn't getting done because there was like a chain of dependency and uh, people could actively choose to kill themselves. But that was like, that was pretty much the only way you'd die is if you made that choice because otherwise you could live forever. That was kind of an interesting take too. And that's what that reminded me of. But uh, Bobby, obviously I think you have some thoughts about this. Oh yeah, man. Uh, yeah. I've been working on the research for like uh, maybe a year and a half now, two years. And I've been studying transhumanism uh, also for a while now. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm really surprised that atheists don't aren't attracted to this idea of living longer, you know, because, because we all, you know, know for sure that there's nothing after death. <clears throat> it's just, you know, it's quite obvious to us. So um, you think like more of us would be like jump on board like really instantly. Uh, well, so that's, that's really interesting. I think. Hmm. Maybe that's because and, uh, maybe because we're wary of science. Maybe because we're wary of the effects and the sociological impacts that our decisions and technology make. You know, like I think I think maybe we're just a bit more cautious about kind of the, the ramifications of that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just spitballing. Yeah. I mean, but. I mean, I feel like it's, it's pretty like, you know, cut and dry. You know, it's like you're either dead or you're here. And it's like, if you're not here, then you can't, at least you have a chance here, you know, to fix things. But, um, and then I think atheists, the, the next step for atheism, you know, it's really easy to like make fun of theists. And I think you do like an excellent job at not making fun of them. Like, like other atheist podcasts, you know, they'll, they'll make fun of them a lot and stuff. And, um, and, you know, uh, that's that's fun to watch sometimes, but 
Um, but I think you do a really good job at being objective and um, really letting them know, like, you know, this is wrong and uh, you explain why. Uh, well, thank but, you, Bobby. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, yeah, man. Uh, and But I think the next step for atheism really is to, you know, heal uh, theists because there might be, man, there might be like a mass suicide um, that occurs because of theism um, uh, after, once we defeat death because, you know, people want to go to the afterlife and whatnot, you know? Hmm. So I think, I think we really need to step up our game and, and you know, be concerned for these people and, and really try to heal their, you know, I don't know. Well, well, so, but there's also uh, a a clear theology under most Christian sects that I'm aware of that, uh, you know, and suicide is not an action that will necessarily get you to heaven. You know, like taking your your own life could be considered, you know, a sin. Um, of course, yeah. maybe if you're saved, I don't know how that works. It depends on your soteriology is is, is the word yeah. for that. So you, salvation, would, you know, are they just going to accept the cancer or are they going to take the treatment? You know, like, like I think a lot of theists are going to convince themselves to not take the treatment. And I think it's our duty um, now to to help them. Hmm. Um, you know, yeah, that see the lights. There are people lights. that are like, I want to come home to Jesus. You know, like that's a phrase that you hear. And yeah, I don't. I, yeah, man. It's gnarly. That's a that's a tough thing because I you know I've in general have been in favor of people's right to death you know like people who are are at that point in their life where they're ready for themselves but like if it's for reasons like that that would also be hard but I also respect people's autonomy so like you know a lot of conflicting yeah. moral boundaries here that I'd have to navigate yeah, man. we got to yeah. start talking about it you know yeah I, you're right I think maybe we do need to have more of a conversation about it but I also want to have some yeah. conversations with some other callers here. So I am going to get to sure. uh, some other people here. Bobby, thanks so much for calling in and talking about this yeah, interesting man. topic with us. And if you have any Definitely. more research, uh, yeah. like I want to, I want to know what's going on. Tell me your findings if you can. Yeah. Uh, I'll, uh, later I'll on. email your, um, your website, yeah. uh, my preliminary research. And uh, I, I just want to say one last thing real quick. Sure. Um, we're actually going to de- defeat death uh, from, from, I have evidence that we're going to defeat death probably like 15, 20 years from now. So All right, Bobby. Soon, um, well, so, this yeah. video is going to go on the internet, and if YouTube is still around in 15 years, you owe me 100 bucks, <laughs> okay? And that's for this money's <laughs> yeah. time, not for future inflation, okay? That's for yeah. that's for All current right, value. We got to look up the index. All right, All right I'm going to let you go here, Bobby. Thanks again for, for calling in on that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> interesting topic. Um, pretty cool that he gets to research that stuff. So Yeah. It's um actually that sort of thing is playing out um at the moment, isn't it, with um what he was saying about suicide with the um Christian science people who are not only refusing treatment often for their own because they, they it's in their religion not to have blood transfers, um, transfusions or whatever, but also for their kids, and that's when it worries me, when it's like uh and I don't know what the answer is because you can't, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but yeah. it's that, like you were saying, the balance between respecting someone's autonomy, but also trying to be compassionate and keep them safe. And yeah, you know, like it's inter- complicated. Most recently, um, I think about this with the coronavirus stuff. We haven't talked about the coronavirus at all on this show. <laughs> uh, nobody's got me any coronavirus ex- ex- conspiracies, although they're they're out there. Trust me. Um, oh, but, sure. You know, you know recently, um, China has decided to to kind of quarantine certain zones and, and kind of have these no-go's, even though there's a scientific consensus that those kind of strategies typically don't work with, especially with the population size that they've got over in Wuhan and stuff. Um, but uh, as 
the World Health Organization is trying to help out with that situation. Um, we also there's a there's a precedent to respect China's autonomy as well and what they're doing with their citizens. It's like, oh, but like we want to the the best way to help you isn't what you're doing. And it's like, oh, man. And um, they, that relates to just a lot of different issues. Um, something I wonder if I could get an expert on on that kind of stuff in the future. Maybe it'd be pretty cool. But. Uh, until then, I got two more calls here on the line, folks. And I want to get to both of you guys, and I think uh, that'll be it for calls tonight. So both of you guys just stay on the line here. And I want to get first. Let's go to go uh, to Nathan in Texas. Hey, Nathan, what's going on? Hi. Uh, uh, just one second. I wasn't prepared to get on the uh, phone. Nope. That's um, all right. Hi. Uh, I kind of sneak yeah, up on people just... sometimes. I try to give them some warning. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do better about that, but I realize ah, oh, they're not totally ready. So. <laughs> oh, that's all right. So um, I actually had a kind of a mix of just a question and just kind of thinking about how religion works with the brain. Um, I suffer from a schizoaffective disorder that's basically at certain points of the day, I completely go irrational. And um, one of the things about it is that like I at those points, I will believe like any conspiracy theory that's available for me um you you give like one coincidence and i'm already all on it hmm. and um it kind of made me think because w before i had this disorder um i was never religious but after the disorder i started becoming more spiritual and trying to figure out like answers on a spiritual level and it made me fall more into like the i guess the christian the christian side of the conspiracies and I, it made me think if like there's a connection between that type of irrational thinking with the part of my brain and the same with how just religion works hmm. and just kind of believing in like whatever you're told, even well, though, you know, they could be the uh, farthest conspiracy theories and stuff. From what I understand about anthropology, uh, I think that the research that I've seen is that the reasons why we might come to a lot of these conclusions, including conspiracy theories, is because we're we're naturally pattern-seeking people. We're pattern-seeking animals, and we want to we want to recognize the patterns that could potentially harm us. We want to see if if there's a rustle in the grass, maybe that's a lion that could come and get us. You know, we don't want that to happen. And so, by extension, uh, when we think of when we see kind of weird signs that are off, like we suddenly become some of us can be paranoid and 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 not trust the situation that we're in. Um, and so I, I don't know if if that's what's going on with you. Again, I'm not an expert on any kind of mental health stuff, but that's something that I've uh, read some stuff on. And, and, and to me, that makes a lot of sense as to why right. people would do that. And, and that includes religion as well. In some aspects, I think you can make the case for it for uh, certain b religious beliefs, certainly not all, because I think there's a lot of people today that 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 try that believe for philosophical reasons and or personal experience of some kind, you know, whatever. But uh, there's also some that like say that they found the Holy Spirit because they felt emotional in this moment uh, when they were, yeah, saw actually, good, you um, know, that's one of the things that had happened to me, uh, mm -hmm. which I've now through therapy have concluded that it was just another psychotic break, but uh, I felt like I had those type of experiences, and that's what kind of led me to this mm. whole rabbit hole of first going into Christianity and then going into the different conspiracies like QAnon and stuff, but um, mm. the whole, like, just having that disconnect from the brain at that moment makes a person more susceptible. 
Yes, we definitely mm. need to be careful what we talk about. You know, and as you know, I hope you know this, Nathan. I would never attribute your your particular condition onto any other people. I would never project that onto somebody. I would never say your the reason why you have this experience is because of a mental illness you have. You know, that's not something I would ever do. Um, but it can mm-hmm. serve as an explanation for some people's experiences, and I think that's something that we have to be real and honest with, and be very careful when we talk with people about this because. That's that's a very sensitive thing. It's a very personal thing, and I, and I wouldn't want to make anybody feel like they were duped or uh, you know um, excluded from from any kind of reality that I might have. Um, but uh, Rebecca, what do you think about this? Well, it's interesting. The um, the sort of uh transcendent experiences they're like uh what so this is one of the questions that i asked on the survey on the how we let go survey have you had any experiences that at the time you characterized as supernatural paranormal i can't remember exactly how i phrased it but i was going for those sort of things and something that came up again and again were people reporting and this is people who have let go of their faith beliefs who are now atheists or agnostics or you know in our in our family whatever um who had experienced the presence of god so they'd had that kind of like that feeling where they sort of lost their ego and dissolved into something bigger themselves and felt a sort of a comforting presence around them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, many of them, because they were religious, interpreted that in a religi- religious framework. And now as atheists struggle to understand what exactly was going on there. And I mean, I'm no expert, but obviously I was curious. So I looked into it a bit. And the cool thing about this is Jane Goodall thinks she's seen chimps do this. This is not something that um, people with mental illnesses do necessarily, although, of course, people with mental illnesses do experience this. It's not even just something that human beings do. It's something that is common to primates. Mm. I mean, at least according to Jane Goodall, um, obviously we don't know what's going on in those chimps' minds, but she saw them like staring at a waterfall and acting very strangely, like rocking backwards and forwards, and that was her interpretation. Mm. So, I mean, obviously not a mental health expert, can't speak on that at all but i can say that those experiences are very common yeah and they happen cross-culturally and i've had experiences like that um i had one very recently another strange experience we had on the podcast we went and did ayahuasca so yeah blasted my oh. my consciousness wide open i don't know about that episode <laughs> yeah. i gotta listen to that but yeah no, that's the like, fun one group. so yeah these things happen it's like and the way we interpret them depends on our cultural context and all mm-hmm. sorts of things group but, trances um, group trances Trances are a thing. And uh, mm, it's interesting to exactly. look into a lot of that stuff. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, doesn't matter if you're an atheist, whatever. Like, you can experience that stuff. I remember when I was younger and I, I went to a, a hypnotist who tried to do some stuff on me. And I, I was really young. I don't remember all the extent of it, but I think he did get me to kind of do some things here and there. But it was just suggestibility. It was just yeah. like, you know, these kind of mental tricks that you can kind of do with people. And as someone who has worked on the other side of this stuff in, in terms of the Christian world, there are certain things that, that people will do to induce certain conditions to make that happen. If you're in a worship right. service, they're going to change. They're going to lower the lights and they're going to start talking like this and they're going to make some sort of deal out of this. And then the music starts playing. If you ever watch Alex Jones's show on Infowars, you know, like he's making some point oh, no. and then somebody's going to turn the music on and then it's going to make this big old point about the, the, the globalists and the, the, the deep state, you know, like that. It, there's like these little triggers in people's minds that make them more susceptible to the information uh, based on, you know, certain persuasion techniques. So yeah, you're definitely, well, that was one. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that was one thing I've learned, too, is that um, a lot of the, like, previous conspiracy theories are just some of the information that I have learned. You know, once I, uh, you know, kind of snap out of it and I'll go back and actually try to, like, decipher what I went through, it will be, like, some of the information will just kind of be skewed or just not right there. And, like, just, you know, this, your cognitive dissonance, uh, or at least mine, which has to kind of kick in and just be like, well, it made sense there just because the attitude and the, the whole... Uh, area that you're in because uh it really just depends on like you know if it's light or dark outside sometimes yeah and uh or what you yeah, if you didn't eat anything recently like or you know like little things like that but material things right i think that's the a point thing to point out not necessarily spiritual things at least as far as i know um so anyway <laughs> Uh, I'm glad, Nathan, that uh, you're able to kind of figure things out for yourself. And thank you for sharing your experiences uh, with us yeah, on this program. And uh, I, I hope you continue to you know, find the treatment that you need and, and, and get the help that you need for yourself. But Definitely, it sounds like yeah. you're, you're, you're doing pretty well right now. Yeah, at the moment. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, thanks again, Nathan, for, for calling in. And uh, if you have any updates on your experience or, or other thoughts you have, I'd love to hear it. So please feel free to call in anytime or email the show it's truth at atheist-community.org for you guys out there who are interested in emailing the show about inquiries or or just general stuff i look at everything that gets sent in through there um i got one more call tonight before we end things here on the line can you can you handle one more call with i can handle one more call call? okay i i I could sometimes i can just see i'm like ah it's setting in just a little bit she wants to go to bed I'll, i'll let you go to bed rebecca we just got to, let's just take care of this one. I want to get to uh, Jeremy calling in from Iowa. Hey, Jeremy, what's going on? Hey, Dan, not a whole lot. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Hey. So I called a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago about morality and gave you my spiel yes. about uh, objective, an objective. An objective uh, framework for morality, filter. I believe, was the conversation we were having. Right. Yeah. Right. It wasn't an entire system. I think I saw a lot of confusion about that. Um, I'm not saying it's a complete system. It's just a filter mm-hmm. through which we can a sort of a set of judge. axioms, perhaps, of which yeah. to, to 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 do actions. Yeah. Uh huh. So what what yep. did you have more thoughts on that, or you or or you know something else you wanted to bring up, or 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 what's up? Well, I do. I wanted to also talk about the the is ought supposed gap. Okay. That people talk about. Because I just don't think it's a gap. I don't think it's an issue, really. Yeah, so for those who aren't aware, uh, philosopher David Hume, I believe, was the first one to talk about this. Uh, Thought about this idea. When it came to talking about morality, you couldn't get over this is-ought kind of gap. People were saying things are good because, you know, reasons. And then, you know, there's an ought there and then there's an is. And you can't really, you know, get past because it seems that ultimately the reasons why we value things are going to be subjective to some extent, I think was kind of um, his point there. Would you say that's a fair characterization? I think so. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge philosopher, but sure. <laughs> my understanding is that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay. So, so you don't think it's a problem though. This kind of is ought um, sort I don't. of, yeah. Okay. Why, so why? I, I believe the ought is completely non sequitur to the question of is. So if you, if you take any moral system, you could, you could know ultimate morality. Let's say you're omniscient tomorrow, and so you have access to ultimate morality. It doesn't matter what that morality is. 
the question of ought still remains, right? So there, there is no, it doesn't affect what is. Hmm. So if we said, yeah. you know, why, why should you not murder? It doesn't affect whether or not murder is moral or immoral. Right. So and this so is the question of ought. Yeah. I think is, is non sequitur. Okay. Yeah. So this would be an understanding of morality that says, look, murder is going to be wrong whether or not I exist or Rebecca exists or you exist or anybody else exists. Murder is just kind of as a fact, as a moral fact would be wrong, right? Like that's, that's kind of the view you're holding. Well, um, I would, I would put it, it doesn't matter if it's more, if it's wrong or right. The question of ought you murder is completely separate from, from that fact, right? So let's say, let's just grant that murder is immoral objectively. Okay. Right? So this doesn't tell us anything about the ought, whether or not we ought to murder doesn't tell us anything about whether or not murder is moral or immoral. And so there's, there's no, what people are trying to do is connect the two somehow, but right. there's no connection. Right. But that's the is ought distinction though. Like that, that's kind of David Hume's whole point. Right. I yeah. just don't understand why people try to discount an objective moral system by saying, well, what, why ought you do this or that action? Right. The yeah. ought is basically implied in the question. So if I said to you, Dan, you ought to go to the gas station right after the show. Mm-hmm. You know, the the question of why is implied by whether or not you need gas. Like if, if well, you well, not necessarily. Though. That, See that that's that's the difference, right? Because like unless we've established the reason why, you know, they are going to be two separate things. We can't just kind of shove it in into one thing and say, oh, there. You know, obviously, you know, if I am going to do it, there's going to be a reason too, but. That's the question, right? We have to determine what that reason is and if it's a good reason. That's the key here because if if there's another thing that says, oh, you shouldn't go to the gas station because uh, the price of gas is too high today, but it's going to be lower tomorrow. You know, like that's going to be separate from you telling me that I ought to do something. Does that make sense? It it does. So Mm -hmm. so and that's that's the point I was kind of trying to make is. If, if we're talking about you getting home, right, if your goal is to get home in your vehicle, but you don't have enough gas to get home, then, then the question of what ought you do becomes implied. It, it becomes self-evident, right? Well, because so I, if, only because if, I'm a human being that has my own goals and motivations. Um, but that's, right. because I'm, that's because I'm putting myself in there. I am projecting me in there you know if we're saying something is objective then we have to take me out of the equation right so so the object the objective part of this so whether or not there's an objective morality we can talk about the ought separately completely separate so so if we're talking about morality if you and i are having a discussion about morality then we've already granted at least the two of us we've already granted that morals matter We've already granted. Oh, got some motorcycles nearby. Sorry about that. So the question of, of should we, 
should we act in a moral fashion basically becomes a, a, an axiom. It basically becomes a given at that point. Well, but, so, you know, but, but the, yeah, but, you know, the, which morals matter is is the conversation right. people have, you know, because if we can't figure so that's, out. That's the is. Yeah. So, Rebecca, are you following this? I know you're tired. This, <laughs> we're, we're jumping into some philosophy here. No, I'm following it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the assault <laughs> distinction is an interesting problem. Um, as I see it, it's, it's something along the lines of, you know, we have this world that's made up of matter and it's got all sorts of things in it and it's got sentient beings that suffer, humans being one of them. Um, and we have these feelings about that situation which suggests to us that we should behave in certain ways, like we shouldn't hurt people, for example, or, I don't know, we shouldn't eat fish on Fridays. Like there's all these ideas, like moral ideas that people have, and everyone's putting forward their moral idea and saying, my one is the right one. My one is you shouldn't hurt people. Mine is the one about fish, whatever. Um, But the the problem being, and the reason, like the, the the whole human problem is you you can't, you can't, like you're saying, you can't make, um, you can't make an objective um, statement about what people ought to do unless you have an if. So as you were saying, if you, if you want to get more gas for your car, then you ought to go to the petrol station and get it. I'm mixing my British and American language. (laughs) Um, But if you want something, then there is a sensible way to achieve it. If you don't want to hurt people, then you should refrain from murder. But these things are operating in a different arena to the sort of material facts of the way the world is. There is nothing encoded into the matter in the world that is morality that we can find. Um, I think this actually brings us back around to the first question. Um, We're talking about the idea of being absolutely certain of something. We, the idea that we could have an objective morality is very, very compelling. Of course it is. That would be great. We wouldn't have to think about it for ourselves. <laughs> like we could mm-hmm. just defer to this objective morality. Um, and when we can't find it, that freaks us out a bit. And yeah. we get sent off into all sorts of strange places. Um, accepting that morality, I mean, and I know people have, have visions of objective morality and um, have good arguments for them. And I'm not a philosopher, so I can't really evaluate those arguments. But as far as I see it, I don't think there is anything written into the code of the universe. I think morality is something that we humans do, which makes it really bizarre and frustrating to talk about, um, which is why you get to the place where you are, um, where you're saying, you know, practically it doesn't matter. And you're right, of course. Like, Practically, it doesn't matter. Practically, it is all smushed together because we can't separate ourselves out from our motivations, from our desires. Um, but I still think that the isort problem exists. I don't think you could solve it. But maybe it doesn't matter quite as much as we think it does. That, that's, that's my point. Is I, I don't think it's a problem. Because mm. if we're talking about morality, for example, I wouldn't talk about morality with a sociopath because <laughs> it doesn't matter. They don't, they don't care, right? There is no motivation for them to act in a moral fashion. But for the rest of society, for those who hmm. who believe that morals matter, the question is already answered, right? So you're the not considering sociopaths is, is within your moral answered. community then? What's right. that? Say, say that are, you, are, you, uh, are you familiar with the phrase of moral community? 
Uh, no. So in the in the philosophy of ethics, there's this idea of more of a moral community. I oh man, I can't remember who 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 first com- came up with this kind of terminology, but it's kind of this idea of okay, so who do we consider within our who do we consider within our realm to to treat the same way as other people within our community? So there's some people that say that. Um, you know, a vegan might argue that we should consider all sentient animals on earth if that's their, their line, you know, you can different ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, within our moral community. So we should treat, there's no reason why we should be treating cows any different. We should be treating people. Right. And so, uh, even though we can recognize that cows aren't going to necessarily make the same decisions that we make. Um, so I guess I'm kind of asking you, do you, is your cutoff for like, who is within our moral community? Who, who? We decide to be binded by our laws, by our ethics. Do you consider sociopaths to 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 not to not count, kind of with 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 this uh, framework? Well, they would still they would still have their right to bodily sovereignty, mm. um, just like everybody else. So, in that sense, I suppose they would be part of my community. But in a sense that um, that morals matter to those. And I, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't. Maybe I'm using the term wrong. But it's my understanding that morals don't matter, or at least they have no sense of well uh, guilt. You know, or whatever. Yes. So, so again, I'm I'm not an expert on this either, but I do know that people can display specific sociopathic tendencies, but may not necessarily be fully considered a sociopath. You know, it's a diagnostic criteria by which you have to call someone a sociopath. So, like, I may not feel yeah. any. Um, you know, any regard for, I don't know, I guess we can go back to cows. Um, and some people might say that that's wrong for me to, to have that uh, kind of feeling, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, that's not, that's not a natural thing or, or I may disregard certain kinds of human beings or something. And so that can be kind of uh, a social, like, let's say, let's say I hate poor people or something. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just pulling something out of the air. Like that, that could be, uh, that could be pathological in the sense that, oh, every time I see a poor people, a poor person, excuse me, pass by. I might say something nasty or something, you know, like that, 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 that's a pathology that we could look at. But uh, again, I'm not an expert here. Um, so like, I guess my point in bringing this up, right, is that just to say sociopath, uh, to me, that's not a good enough criteria, you know, because p- different people can display different things. I don't know. This might be a more complex point than I might be that well, I, I might not be willing to explore right now at uh, 8.30 at night yeah. and, and whatever hell time it is for, for Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca. Let, let me, if I may, let me, let me remove morals out of the equation for a second. Okay. And give you an analogy that maybe will clarify my point. So let's say we're talking about math. And I say it's a fact, it's an objective fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Okay. I could show you on paper that two plus two equals four. So the question, so if if we take the is and the ought, well, why ought somebody accept that? Well, there there is no again. The question is implied. the 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 answer is implied in the question. So if I'm talking to somebody about math, they have to accept math as a as a value. You know, they have to have valuable or value in math. They have to accept it as valuable. I could I could try try to convince you know a five year old that math is important, and they might just if they have a math test in front of them or an eight year old, ten year old, whatever, they might just put down numbers, letters, colors. They may not care 
about math, right? Mm-hmm. And so it it doesn't do any good to to talk about the is. I mean, obviously, teaching kids math is important. Well, it doesn't do any good. I Let's don't say there's an adult who doesn't accept math. They don't care. What do you mean by you don't accept math? Like they don't think it exists, that. or that they just don't think it's important? Well, they don't. They don't care about it at all. They don't care that two plus two is four. They don't accept it. They they don't. For whatever reason, they'll say two plus two equals purple. They, two plus two equals twelve. It doesn't matter to them the logic of math, mm. the fact of math, the fact of two plus two equals four. So there. Like this, this is ought question, in my opinion. Uh, it supersedes morality. It you could apply it to any single topic there is, just like the gas station. Well, to somebody who doesn't mind walking and leaving their car abandoned on the on the side of the road, it may not matter to them to get gas. You can't convince them, even though it's a fact that if they drive a gasoline-powered car they have to put gas in the car, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's an objective fact. And sure. if you're talking to somebody about you ought to go to the gas station or you ought to do this, they have to already accept the axiom. Yes. I guess that's kind yes. of my point. Well, but that's but I, I think you might be missing because that's the criticism that, that really Hume is talking about. He's saying you have to accept the is and, and in order for you to get that ought – and there are people who don't, I don't accept think you have it. To accept the is. Well, so like, like so. I think the is could be anything. It could be any. So going could, back to my vegan example, substitute any. If 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 you don't share the same ethic that you need to treat cows better, then then why even talk about morality at all? So like that's why we're saying, well, well is, if when we want to have an objective framework, it's one that everyone can follow. And the fact is, I don't think right. that we have one that everyone can follow because what's the point of having a framework if 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 nobody follows it? Well, that's, that's the, so this is why I think it's unimportant. And this is because it could be applied to any subject at all. And so nobody, nobody asks, what's the is ought with math? What's the is ought with, with driving a car or putting gas in your car? What's the is, they only come to morality and they say, well, why ought, why ought somebody, you know, follow morality? Well, they've already, they've already, Math and granted and, that morality is important. In particular, so, math has a set of rules and systems that are already set up that you're supposed to follow. You know, like you can't break right. a life. So, you can't really invent new math in the sense that you can't make two plus two not equal four because it's it's kind of already there, and that's what makes it objective, right? right? So what you're doing is you're granting that if we have the is, then the ought falls in line. Sure. Am but but not everybody not okay. everybody follows the is though, and that's kind of the point. But th- but that's but this is we but, have to argue why should right we here. care about the is that that's that's the arguments that's been happening for for centuries now, right? Why care about the is? What makes one is better than another is? So let me. So if somebody asks, why shouldn't I murder? Right? Yeah. Well, this this question is not valid if we already know that murder is immoral. If if we have an objective framework for morality and part of that objective framework is murder is immoral, if the ought follows the is axiomatically, yes. if it's implied, then we don't have to establish 
then then basically Which, what I'm hearing is is the gap is bridged. But but no, but the you got to have the framework first though. I don't know. I I think I, there might be a miscommunication here, but um I don't know. I'd have to read what other people in the comments say. I'm sure people are just like freaking out because I'm probably getting all my philosophy <laughs> terms wrong. I know they're. I'm sure they uh, are. But uh, you know, that's it. I don't know. I uh, this might be something we gotta explore maybe another time. I know that we did last time too, but I think maybe we got to some a different thing today, which is good. Um, so, but we are running a, a bit late on the show. Uh, but Jeremy, I do want to say thanks for calling in and talking about it because talking about morality is important. I think. Um, and, uh, objectively, objectively, <laughs> why not? Objectively, Dan endorses, uh, this, this things, but anyway, um, uh, maybe we'll, maybe, uh, next time when we talk about it, we can, we can, uh, we can read up on some more stuff and I can be a bit more prepared, uh, because I'm, I'm starting to feel it now too, Rebecca, I'm feeling you a little <laughs> bit, uh, but anyway, Jeremy, thanks again for, for calling in. Sorry to cut it off like that, but I don't want to get too late and too into the weeds. Um, but, uh, it's been a good show, man. So many people calling in. I've had a really great 2020 so far with Truth Wanted. You guys have been stepping up your calling game so much. We've had tons of calls on the show, and I'm always looking for more people to call in and from just a wide range of subjects. So if you know somebody that like is super into crystals or maybe has their own Bigfoot story or something, tell those folks to call in or call in on their behalf and tell those stories to me <laughs> because I want to know regardless because uh, I'm just really interested in this stuff. I want to give a very special thanks to uh, Rebecca for uh, being on the show tonight. Thanks so much, Rebecca. And to the crew in the back who helped make this stuff happen. There's our crew cam who helped make this show every week if you're watching this on YouTube. And you should like and subscribe if you haven't already. And if you also like this show, <laughs> John, that's John, that's gross. Don't do that. Don't. God. Audio listeners, you've been spared. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts, you just missed John uh, shoving his face into the camera uh, while eating chips, I think. I don't know what that was. Um, And uh, as always, you can contact me again at truth at atheist-community.org. Also, I'm on Twitter at ObjectivelyDan. Be sure to follow me on there. Um, I, I like to post stuff on Twitter. And uh, it's it's just fun for me. And if you like this show, please consider donating on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash truthwanted. Or want some merch, Teespring's Atheist Experience Network. I had a link in here. And it's bit.ly slash AEN merch. So bit.ly slash AEN merch. That's where we're getting this cool stuff today. I'm really enjoying this stuff. I think it's pretty cool. Again, Rebecca, thanks for being on the show. Uh, where can people find you at? Um, you can find me, I'm Rebecca on paper, on Instagram and Twitter, and listen to my podcast, The Seeker and the Skeptic. We have great fun making it, and we'd love to have you listening. Yes, go check that out, especially the ayahuasca one. Now I got some <laughs> research to do. Any last words before we kind of close things out for tonight and jump on to Discord? For those of you who are watching this live, I am going to go on Discord. Rebecca is going to go to bed and get some sleep, but I will be there to <laughs> yeah. answer your questions. So if you're in the chat, don't leave quite yet. Come join me on Discord. But last words, Rebecca. Oh, it's been really fun. Thank you so much for having me. You have amazing, thoughtful, interesting listeners. It's really cool show. I agree. My listeners are awesome. You guys are cool. Very well thought. <laughs> Very articulate episode today. I, I just enjoyed today's show. So thanks again, everybody, for watching this program. Remember to always keep wanting the truth. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>